Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher, and we have a crazy, packed show today. We're going to be talking about the MLB awards that were just announced this past week. We're going to be visited by Tyler Stamm of the Sugarland Skeeters. We're going to be visited by Bobby Dynamite, the Astros train guy. But first up, batting leadoff, we have a very special guest that we're really are so excited about. He is the Senior Director of Communications for the Minor League Baseball, Mr. Jeff Lands. Very excited to have him on the program. Jeff, how's it going? Good, Jim. Thanks for having me. So I always like to start with this question, you know, um, how, how'd you get into baseball in the first place? Yeah, I guess uh, I grew up in Iowa City, Iowa, and uh, my dad was a huge Cubs fan. So uh, pretty much every weekend that we weren't playing Little League or whatever, we'd go into Wrigley Field and watch the Cubs and and I just fell in love with baseball, going to games with my dad. And, uh, you know, it's uh, when I, as I was growing up, every game we'd go to, he'd always buy me a program to look through and a car ride home or whatever. And as I got into college and trying to figure out what to do with my rest of my life, I guess, I thought, hey, you know, I, let, I wouldn't mind being the guy that puts together the program or the media guide because I enjoyed always reading through those and the stats were always interesting to me. So studied journalism and and uh, communications and got a degree in public relations at Iowa State University and turned that into an internship with the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines and ended up uh, working there for 11 years and then had a chance to go work for the Baltimore Orioles for seven years in a similar role there and then came to minor league baseball five years ago now. I love the fact that it started with the Iowa Cubs and in the state you went to school. Um, you got to yeah. be feeling pretty good. So you went to, you said Iowa State. Yeah, I think that that means this Saturday you and I are enemies because my Longhorns are going up to Ames. Oh, that could be. Yeah, yeah. I, the uh, well, growing up in Iowa City, where the University of Iowa is, I, I am, uh, I probably more of a Hawkeye than a Cyclone, especially after they dropped the baseball program at Iowa State. So, uh, I pull for. I don't cheer against them uh, unless they're playing Iowa, but, but. Uh, they actually have a pretty decent football program these days. They, yeah, and Texas is trending downward. I'm feeling super nervous about it. But, you know, we should we, should, we could have a whole Big 12, what's going on with that conference <laughs> conversation, but that's a different <laughs> time. So one of the things that interested us to, and the reason why we started the podcast, so I grew up as a Houston kid, um, born and raised. So I never really went to a minor league baseball game until mm-hmm. – I was a filmmaker um, going to different festivals and I would just sort of find them. So when I discovered it, it really is this essential part, I think, of American culture. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, about, you know, where do you see minor league baseball and its importance, you know, how it really places the game in a national kind of perspective. Yeah. Giving everybody yeah. options. I mean, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great uh, family entertainment option. Uh, it's, you know, the, the ballparks are clean, they're safe, uh, you know, and, and people don't have to be a baseball fan to have a good time at a minor league game. You know, you, I always tell people, if you are standing outside the gates when the, the game ends and, and you ask a hundred people who won, probably 50 of those hundred couldn't tell you. And probably 85 of the hundred probably couldn't tell you what the score was. So 
clearly, you know, those people are there to be entertained by the, you know, the, the action on the field is almost uh, secondary to, you know, the mascot walking through the, the walkway, shaking hands and posing for pictures and the between innings contests and all this, you know, the, the uh, company picnics and all the other stuff that goes on before the game. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's great. You know, somebody told me the other day that minor baseball to them is, it's great entertainment for the middle class. You know, it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to go to the game. You could go two or three times in a week if you really felt like it and not spend probably more than a hundred bucks. And, you know, it's just, uh, our, our, you know, our scale that we have, uh, 81% of the U S population lives in a, in a market that has a minor league baseball team. So it's, uh, you know, the 160 teams are really well spread out across the United States and up into Vancouver. And we're just in it. We're in about just about every town that, uh, you know, has much size to it. We're, we're usually there. I'd actually never heard that, that particular stat, the 81%, that really does drive it home. And I don't yeah. think, you know, people really, I think for the other major American sports, um, they can be completely TV affairs, but I think, for people to fall in love with baseball, it's got to be experienced. I think. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. You got to hear the crack of the bat. You got to hear the the umpire yelling strike, and you know, got to sing the seventh inning stretch. For, you know, you don't really have that in any other sports. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a game that you know you can learn so much from watching it in person, and, and it's just. Uh, to me, it's better in person than it is on TV. Whereas, you know, I, I've been to NFL and NBA games, and, and you know, to me, I, I get the same amount of enjoyment out of those as I do sitting at home on my couch. So, um, but there's some, you know, there's some also about sitting outside with your friends and having a couple beers, sitting on a drink rail in left field, and you know, and sitting there with your kids and waiting for the fireworks to start after the game. You know, it's just it's a different. Uh, different vibe, different feel. And it's, it's very much Americana. So, you know, as the senior director of communications, how often are you able to get out to games or, or what is sort of your day-to-day life as far as what you're doing for minor league baseball? Yeah. Uh, a lot of, you know, the day-to-day, you know, really, uh, it's just kind of keeping an eye on the landscape of minor league baseball, what's going on, where, uh, you know, helping our teams promote on a national basis some of their their bigger events or event, you know events that might be a big draw that might be uh, something that a national media outlet would be interested in uh, things like that. Uh, you know, once once the season starts, we do try and get out. Uh, I think I got to about seventy five games this summer in different parts of the country. So uh, you know, usually try and take one week a month or so and and drive around and see, you know, eight to 10 ballparks and, you know, see seven or eight games in those ballparks. So it's a lot of looking at schedules and seeing who's got a a day game the same, the same day that somebody two hours away has a night game, you know, and try and see many many of the ballparks as we can and try and, you know, see the vibe. And, you know, and it's important for us to know that, um, you know, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, had a, a craft beer that was made especially for their ballpark. And, you know, cause we'll, we'll get a call from a, a magazine wanting to do a story about craft beers and we can tell them all about, 
the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers snake tail ale, you know, and, and, or Las Vegas aviators ale and know that, yeah, you know, I tried those. They're really good. and They're really popular. And, and now they're being carried in the stores in, in Appleton, Wisconsin, you know, it's, uh, so it's, it's fun for me to get out and see the ballparks, meet the people, see the facilities, you know, know what's out there. Um, you know, and Hey, I'm a baseball fan too. So it's, it's cool to, uh, it's a great way to see the country really. I mean, I, if I could, uh, talk to bosses and to let me get an RV for a summer, I'd, I'd spend the whole summer on the road watching games, but they said it's not in the budget for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, what, what, un, what unsensitive bosses to, to the needs of, the, know, of the, I can't believe it, but yeah. you know, it's funny because, um, this was our first season doing this show. And so we did, we did a lot of that and just a lot of really great moments for us. That was, were both, um, things that we experienced. Like I was there when, uh, Jordan Alvarez got intentionally walked without bringing a bat to the plate, which is maybe the first time I've ever seen that. Um, but also, <laughs> yeah, no, it was amazing. But also reading like uh, Ben Hill's article about the the jumbo shrimp uh, giving the the cancer the kid with cancer like yeah. he was the yep. only fan at yep. the stadium. So, what were some of the highlights for you for this 2019 season? Well, that was certainly one of them. That was probably one of the the neater promotions we saw anybody do this year. You know, that was. Uh, that was pretty special. I mean, for that team to to give up a night of revenue and make that a once in a lifetime experience for that kid and his father, that was that was really something, you know. And and to take a two on their attendance for the night, you know, there's there's a, these teams have a lot of pride in their average attendance numbers and and everything else that goes into it. For them to be willing to take a two, <laughs> that's unheard of, you know. When you think about it, that that crushes their average for the year but um you know they there was something bigger to it than that you know and and it was it was a great job out of them and and we we're very proud to see them do that um boy there were so many you know you see a lot of our teams have uh, partnerships with miracle league programs where the kids can play baseball if, even if they're confined to a wheelchair you know and the players go out in the mornings and, and watch those games and, and pitch to the kids and participate with them. That's always fun. Um, you know, you, you always see the guys that you read about, you know, whether it's Wander Franco, you know, he came down here to Florida for the last month of the season or so and got to see him a few times. And you just, you sit there and you see some of the plays he makes to the backhand side in the hole. You're just like, wow, you know, that's, that's a major league play, you know, and a lot of us here in the office like to say that every time you go to a game, a minor league game, you'll see at least one major league caliber play, whether it's a diving play, a great throw from an outfielder, uh, a pitcher throwing 99 or hundred miles an hour. Uh, but you'll, you'll see at least one major league caliber play every single night in the minor leagues, no matter what level you're looking at. And, that's what makes it fun for me. I mean, I, you know, I, t I have a two and a half year old son and I take him out to games down here two or three nights a week if I can. Um, you know, the wife it certainly enjoys the dollar beer Tuesdays and <laughs> the son likes the fireworks Fridays. So yeah, I get at least two nights where I can go to the ballpark without getting in any trouble. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. So I, I try to explain to people who, 
you know, again, like growing up in Major League City, like what I try to tell them is when you sit down and you watch the game, it isn't like watching the XFL or or one mm-hmm. of these other words. Like like you're watching the talent is equal in in like what's the line in, in Bull Durham? Like you're one base hit a month away from being a, a major league. Oh, like yeah. It's the same yeah. level of competition. Yep. You just need that one ground ball with ours to get through. And, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, yeah, if over the course of a, a five-month season, one hit a week, you know, that that gets you to the big leagues. And it's, it's so true. It's, you know, the guys that, uh, you know, don't have any luck. They don't, they don't have a jersey the next year usually. So, um, but it's, uh, you know, there, there's so many great things about baseball. It's so much fun to watch. And like I said, you'll, you'll see one spectacular play where everybody in the crowd just goes, wow. You know, it might be Tim Tebow hitting a home run. It might be, uh, you know, Luis Robert hitting a grand slam that hits the scoreboard or something. Who knows? You know, you're just like, wow, that guy, he might be in the big leagues. I remember watching Reggie Sanders in low A ball when I was 13 years old, 14 years old. And, I mean, he might as well have been Willie Mays. And, you know, he ended up having a nice long career. And I'll never forget watching Reggie Sanders play in Sierra Rapids, Iowa. You know, and, and then those are the kind of memories that you just can't, you know, you can't top that stuff. And I was one of the things I wanted to ask you about you, like your office. Like, so mm-hmm. do you guys, when, when it, whenever there's like a major league rehab assignment, for example, like mm-hmm. how much do, does that become your focus as a way to introduce fans to a game that maybe they've never been out to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, local driven by the, by the teams where the guy's going to play, um, you know, whether it's Kershaw pitching in, Tulsa or, yeah, for example, when I was in Iowa, you know, we had Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood multiple times, unfortunately, on, re- on rehab assignments. And when the Cubs told us those guys were, hey, you know, Wood's pitching on Thursday, and we would tell the, the newspaper, it was front page news in Des Moines, Iowa, that Kerry Wood or, or Ben Zobers type guy uh, or Chris Bryant's coming to rehab in Des Moines that's front page news in most of our towns, you know? So it's, it's a big deal for the communities. It's, it's a huge deal for those cities, the areas around the ballpark. Cause you know, when, when Clayton Kershaw goes and pitches in Oklahoma city or Tulsa, you're, you're going to have a capacity crowd. I mean, it's, it's automatic. So uh, that's not only good for the team. It's also good for the restaurants around the ballpark, you know, other companies that maybe charge for parking in their lots, you know, everybody benefits and, you know, it's just, uh, it draws interest, you know, it, it makes people want to come and watch something closely. And I'll never forget Mark Pryor's first game in Des Moines. He came in with all the hype in the world and he, he struck out the side in the first inning and got a standing ovation. How many, how many times do you see a standing ovation in a minor league baseball game? <laughs> not often. <laughs> no, no I mean, not often. It was crazy. And then he ended up hitting two home runs that night as well. And got two curtain calls out of it. So <laughs> it was pretty nuts. It was probably the single greatest performance I saw in the minor leagues, but um, that's neither here nor there. But, um, you know, our, our office, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to promote minor league baseball, uh, whether it's through a marketing deal, 
Uh, we have a handful of national partners in minor league baseball now. Um, and those benefit all of our clubs. They split the revenues from those uh, marketing programs. And, and we have probably 15, 20 people here in St. Petersburg that are working on that stuff year round. And, you know, we've got a, a legal and trademarks and licensing team that uh, keep track of everybody's logos and make sure nobody, you know, you don't want the uh, El Paso Chihuahua's logo to fall into a state where somebody else can claim the mark and, and make all the money off it. So we've got groups keeping an eye on all of our logos and trademarks and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, we have a pretty good staff here, about 50 people or so in the office here and, and uh, it's a lot of fun, a lot of good baseball fans and people here. So it's a pretty good setup. And well, you know, we have the winter meetings coming up. And uh, again, mm-hmm. thank you for your help with us and getting down there. And sure, um, you know, what what will that be like for you? And and how important are the winter meetings? Like we, we you know, we know about what it means on the major league side, but for the minor league side, like it seems like it, yeah. every interview we've done with people that are employed by our minor league team mentioned the winter meetings. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, Particularly for our office, it's it's our Super Bowl. Um, you know, like you said, when when people think of the winter meetings, you think of the major league teams and making trades and and everything you see on MLB Network and ESPN broadcasting from there and all that good stuff. But the winter meetings are actually staged by minor league baseball, so we're coordinating all the coordinating all the rooms for the meetings for you know whether it's the American League GMs or National League GMs or Texas League general managers or whatever the case may be, we coordinate who's in what room and, you know, everything's down to how the tables are set up in that room. And, uh, you know, there's seminars for all the employees from all the teams that come in, uh, to learn, you know, best practices on whether it's the business side or the promotions they're doing, um, you know, anything, social media, there's a bunch of social media seminars, a lot of stuff going on there. There's a huge baseball trade show that we oversee have like, I want to say it's almost 400 different companies and vendors that show up and take up a huge convention space and basically pitching their services and, and whatever else uh, they might have available for all the teams to use. Uh, and there's also the professional baseball employment opportunity job fair, uh, Annually, we have about 400 to 500 jobs that are posted there uh, by all of our teams and Major League Baseball teams also post there. And uh, we usually have about 500 job seekers there over the course of the week that are – the beautiful thing about it is you can go there, you can look on the wall and say, okay, go past the Chihuahuas, have a, a group sales director job open, and you're a sales or a business student and you want to get into business baseball – well, you can drop your resume in the box for that job with the Chihuahuas and they'll call you and give you an interview while you're there. So it's a uh, pretty remarkable uh, setup there, the way they do it. It's uh, it's a lot of logistics, but they, uh, they managed to get it done. It's a lot of people with a lot of resumes. And one year we were at Opryland in Nashville and I think they have something crazy like 4,000 hotel rooms there or something. And some kid walks around in the middle of the night and put his resume under every single door in the hotel. <laughs> I hope he got a job. Was it you? Or was it you? <laughs> it was not me, but man, if I, if I had thought of it, I sure as hell would have done it. <laughs> no kidding. So after it's all done, will you get a nap or you have to start jumping right into 2020 season? Well, that's the kicker is, uh, you know, the, 
the time when our schedule here in the office slows down basically is when the the games start because then it's all on the teams. You know, that that's when they do their thing and make their money and do their, you know, get the attendance numbers. And we spend uh, a lot of the off season gearing up for the winter meetings. It's uh, also our, our innovator summit, which is a big gathering of all the teams again, but mainly their promotional uh, idea people that get together and share ideas for, you know, what, uh, what promotions they did or what, you know, if it was a star Wars night or you know, some kind of a charity fundraiser, you know, what, what really went well for them. Everybody shares ideas. It's a nice event, but yeah, it's our off season is the off season for our teams is basically our peak season, I guess you could say. And, and then, you know, obviously after the start of the year, um, you know, take a couple of days off, watch some bowl games, but then it's <laughs> right back into the uh, opening day mode and, and trying to, get everything set up for opening day that we need to get done. Well, Jeff, thanks a lot then for taking the time to visit with us. That's when you're kind of getting ready for it. Uh, He is Jeff Lance. He's the senior communications director for minor league baseball. And thanks for being on. Let's get to you. You bet. Thanks, Jim. We'll see you in San Diego. And again, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a real privilege to get that perspective. Now, before we dive into the rest of the show and talk about the MLB awards, we do want to welcome or congratulate two minor league teams on successful rebrands. And so welcoming their new identities to the minor league baseball landscape. And we look forward to covering them next season. First, the New Orleans Baby Cakes relocated to Wichita and became the Wichita Wind Surge. They announced their new branding this week and we just love it. We love the, the whole Pegasus. We love the color scheme. I think it's, I think it's really iconic looking and I think it's going to look really, really great on a cap. Mine's already on its way. We also want to welcome maybe my favorite new brand in minor league baseball, the Missoula Paddleheads. I have, again, already ordered gear. Um, I definitely have a problem with minor league baseball gear, but I guess there are, uh, there are worse problems to have. But no, we love the Missoula Paddleheads. I'm going to do my best to create a bucket list item or check off a bucket list item and get up to Montana this year. Uh, I love the whole hippie moose thing. It was fun because, you know, an identity should really capture um, the culture of the community in which it plays and being an Austinite and, and having that whole keep Austin weird thing. The minute I saw the moose in Birkenstocks and then the peace symbol made of oars, I kind of immediately connected with this town. So uh, that's, you know, that's that that means branding well done. So congrats to Missoula and Wichita and congrats to the to the communities of both towns on what should be a fun minor league baseball season coming in 2020. And now the big league chew and I on the majors. And we are now joining us with the big league chew, our regular MLB correspondent, Mr. Scott McIntyre. Scott, the awards are, the awards are over. A lot of them were close, but it means it's one more, one more step toward the void. Like, like cool that the awards happened and and they were, they were close and competitive, but we're one more step to zero baseball to talk about. Yeah. And we've also had our first free agent signing of the year. I can't remember specifically off the top of my head, but I mean, you've got awards that that came out. Free agents are signing before uh, the awards are, are, are final. Um, before all of the awards are final. So, 
uh, it uh, maybe this off season won't be so long after. Oh, all. Maybe it won't. Um, so I want to talk first about uh, the MVP because um, you had two really close votes. Uh, Trout edged Bregman. Um, you know, there's this part of me as an Astros fan that wanted to be Bregman, but I understand why Trump won the award, and then Bellinger won the NL award. But I wanted to talk to you about how the MVP is a little different in Major League Baseball than other sports, because I think in other sports, whether they acknowledge it or not, team success is a factor. Should it be in Major League Baseball? Um, If you're going to call the award most valuable player, then yeah, because that's the value that you provide. Is it the value to the team or the league? Since the league itself doesn't go like go play the Japanese league or anything, uh, I'm guessing it's per team. So therefore, if you're, what they're voting on is most outstanding player, and that's different. But most valuable player is somebody that that had something to do with his team's uh, ability to win and be competitive. You know, much for the for the Mets, they they were relevant this year. So the Jacob Degroms and the Pete Alonzos, okay, I, I can I can see see that. But but they weren't in for the MVP. They they were in for for Cy Young and Rookie of the Year. For for me. Um, I would not have voted for either winner, to be to be completely honest with you, because of the way that I see the award. Was Trout incredible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he totally was. He always is. Um, but I could argue that Bregman had as good as, if not better than, uh, a season that he did. Over on the NL side, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, Yelich, um, you know, if he wouldn't have been hurt, Yelich would have gone back to back. My vote personally would have gone to Rendon because I thought Rendon plays a, a more strenuous position, uh, played it well defensively. And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to see all three players. I've seen all three players play, and, and, and Rendon was just absolutely something special this last year. Not taking anything away from Cody Bellinger, and congrats to him. But Anthony Rendon would have definitely had my vote, and he would have had it back in July and August. Yeah, I think that's a that's actually a great point too. To to you know the the argument with Trent with Trout versus Bregman will be that, or at least the argument for Bregman is one: your team went to the World Series, but of course it's a regular season award. But your team won 107 games. You played two different positions because of injuries on your own team. Played 154 games, and Trout only played five months. Right. And then I think, but you look at what, what we all know what the nationals did to go from what was it 15 and 29 or something to making the playoffs. Rendon was the anchor to that. And like you said, again, not when you play third base, that's not a position where you're hiding someone because they has a good bat. That's a, that is a, the hot corner for a reason. That's exactly right. And, and, for quite a stretch, when Zimmerman was trying to find his stroke, um, when when you had when you had other guys, when Soto's still new to the team, uh, you know, twenty years old, very fresh based, uh, Rendon really held all that together for for quite a while. But um, but you know, my vote, my vote, and um, five dollars will get you a happy meal. So um, <laughs> you know, that's that that's really what it's worth. Um, but but I, I do um, I do think they at least had the right players nominated, the right finalists that that were in place, and it would not surprise me if if the same names were not there next year, at least on the at least on the AL side, and both Trout and Bregman, 
and on the NL side in Yelich and Bellinger. I'm not sure if Rendon can do it again because I don't know where he'll wind up. He may wind up right back there in D.C., but you don't know yet, and things may change. But Bellinger and Yelich so shl- oh, show no signs of slowing down anytime soon. One of the things, too, that I was uh, – I, I, there was a part of me that was sort of hoping for Max Scherzer to win the, the Cy Young because not just what he did in the playoffs in the World Series, gutting it out, but, I mean, taking that bunt off the face – and then basically playing a game with a brown eye, a blue eye, and a black eye, um, and in pitching well. But it's hard to argue Degrom. Uh, what are your thoughts on Degrom and the Cy Young? It's really difficult to argue Degrom when you when you also think that he started out the year like April into May with a four point eight five ERA, and and he he just wasn't himself. And then at some point something snapped and clicked. And, and let's be honest, the Mets' defense was was not exactly stellar uh, at the beginning of the year, and it got it improved to mediocre uh, throughout the rest of the year, um, but but the um, but overall, Degrom really had a lot of factors working against him. Um, things, you know, New York itself. I, I think that Degrom was deserved to win that. Um, I wouldn't have had a problem had it gone to Scherzer. Uh, although I do think that Scherzer tired as the year went on, and Degrom really just just stepped it up and, and it, you know, it, it, those arms, the, the Groms and Syndergaards of the world, that's, they're not far away in New York. As crazy as that may sound, they have a crazy influx of really old and really young. It feels like, but, um, the Mets aren't that far away from being really good. And DeGrom is a, a, the number one reason for that. I think the Mets are your 2020 national league East winners. I know that this, that we'll do this in about three or four months, but, um, I think, Whenever they were making all those moves at the trade deadline and acquiring talent when everybody thought they were sellers, I really think that was looking to this. I think Carlos Beltran is going to be a perfect match for a manager for that team. And I I really – I think DeGrom and Thor and um, – God, why can't I remember his name? The dude they got from Toronto that everybody thought was going to the Yankees. I think I think you're they're, they're your East winners. Yeah, I think – well, you know, number one, it'll be um, how well Beltron can um, implement the the garbage can banging technique. No, wait, wait, never mind. Um, ha ha ha! But, but I, you got a lot to overcome with the Braves. Uh, I, I know we're jumping way out ahead of ourselves here, and, and we've got time. And, and and by the way, both for both of these teams, the way they look in November and the way they look in March may be a little different as well. Um, but I think it's, I, you know, I thought it was the most competitive and no, I shouldn't say that in the central NL central last year, there were three teams in my opinion that could have won uh, the title, the cards, the Cubs and the, um, and the Brewers with the, with the reds and the pirates being very good teams top to bottom. I felt like it was the best division. Now look, Miami's not going to win the East, but it's not going to surprise you if any of the other four teams do. I, I think that is actually the most, um, any, any the, the the biggest toss up of who's going to win the division next year is, is the NL East, as I thought it was this year too. So, but we're 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 not there yet. We're not so. quite there yet. Yeah. So, but let's talk a little bit about the AL Cy Young too, because that was really really close. Uh, both Verlander and Cole were ended up with um, all the first and second place votes. They were I, I read somewhere where if two of those votes had flipped, it would have been a tie. Um. So what are your thoughts about who walked away with that? Um, are you a Cole guy or were you a Verlander guy for that award? 
No, I was Verlander at the, we have to remember the votes came in at the end of the regular season. And I was a Verlander guy at the end of the regular season, for sure. If the postseason were included, I think Cole gets, gets the edge based on that body of work, but the body of work that occurred over the course of the year, the no hitter uh, threw things over the almost no hitter uh, also kicks it up there. Verlander not only passed the eye test, he's also the bigger known name um, among people not watching Houston every night. Um, they, they, they've had the Verlander name in, in their, in their arsenal longer, I should say than, than Coles. And and Verlander just he had the eye popping performances that really stood out on paper, whereas Cole was just exceptional night to night to night. Uh, well, every fifth night. But um, I, I think they got it right with that vote. And I think they also got it right that it was close. I, um, I have no problem with Verlander. I even think that's that's who I went with at the beginning of the year um, when, when we did our, our, our picks, although I, I can't remember off the top of my head. One of the things that uh, I, you know, sort of to, I, to agree with you on, on with that is that I think it's almost my argument why Bregman should have beat Trout. Uh, Verlander had ten more innings; he had one more whole start. Uh, he was consistent the entire the entire year. I also think I think um, the no hitter hitting three thousand strikeouts and Major League Baseball being afraid of Kate Upton's Twitter. Might have been why he did it, but and I, I do think that if you remember, like much like with Degrom, Cole had an ERA over four after April. I was at a game in Texas in the Rangers where he gave up nine runs. So I do think that when you're splitting hairs like that, consistency and then hitting some of those landmark things that um, maybe were the dif- difference in the award. Yeah, and I think that a lot of voters also remember the last month of the season. Now, apparently, they don't when you got a guy like Trout doesn't even play, but they, um, I, I think they do remember the last month of the season. And Verlander was exceptionally strong. He closed strong. Um, I think they, you know, when it when it comes to those votes, many of them, when it's tight, they remember September, so to speak. Um, um, I, I, I have no problem with the way that voting went. I, th- I thought it was correct. Um, yeah, what can you say? It's, it's Justin Verlander. Plus, this may be Justin's, Justin Verlander's last uh, year to really go get it. He's getting older. Cole's going to be around for a while. He'll have more chances. Well, and I guess I want to ask you then regarding uh, Justin Verlander. I mean, does this put him in the Hall of Fame now? Like, is he a first ballot Hall of Fame? I remember when he came to Houston, there was like – he was sort of like on the bubble. Would he be a Hall of Famer or not? What are your thoughts? I think the thoughts of which we measure pitchers going forward to get them into the Hall of Fame have to, has to change, right? It used to be, well, how many 31 seasons did he have? And how many innings? How many times did he pitch over 300 innings? And how many career wins? How many career strikeouts? Well, I think career strikeouts, the number is going to have to go up. I think hitting 300K uh, it, it, in the strikeouts, 3,000 uh, strikeouts, uh, I think that matters. Now, I, th- I think that matters more. I think Verlander's done everything that a 21st century starter should do to um, to get into the Hall of Fame. And the way things are going, they're going to have to continually revamp the way they're looking at this and approaching that vote because the way we're using starters is changing. So, um, yeah, I think Verlander, without a doubt. Um, of course, I also thought Roger Clemens would be in without a doubt. And we see where that stands. But um, – uh, but, but yeah, I, I, um, 
I thought Justin Verlander was a Hall of Famer before this year, uh, given the new criteria. So he's definitely there now, and he's still he's still pitching. So he, yeah, he's a first ballot. He's a first ballot guy. Well, you are our first ballot Hall of Famer. He is Scott McIntyre. He is going to be the uh, or he is the correspondent for our big major league section of this podcast. And Scott, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have you back on to get all hot stovey. So uh, I guess put on your I'm best looking. put on your best Schwami hat and see if you can predict who where people are going. I absolutely love it. And I will also say congratulations to my guy, Mike Schilt, for being National League Manager of the Year, even though Craig Council had more first place votes. That is an interesting um an interesting race as well. But um overcoming all the youth and crazy numbers and everything that Schulte had to do to to get the manager of the year. That was that was quietly well done. And Rocco Baldelli, the, the job he did with the twins was just sick. Yeah, you, but you know what, though? I would have gone um, uh, Kevin Cash for the manager of the year. In I think I almost feel like if you manage the wild card team, you should just win manager of the year because it means you've done something. But that's my automatic. Uh, Nobody but you gave the twins a, 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 a prayer of winning that division at the beginning of the year. And Baldelli just led it from start to finish. So, eh. I think Cash had more stuff in his arsenal and 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 knew how he was going to approach it. Baldelli had a lot, a lot of unknown commodities and and managed it well. So, well, he did. Hey, Kevin right. Cash wants it that bad. Kevin Cash can go win a hundred games. That's year. true. There, That's there. true. All right, Scott. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you later. Go go Astros! A focus on H Town Hardball. And on our Go Go Astros segment, we are welcoming our Go Go Astros correspondent, Mr. Andy Tomchesson. Andy, we are only three episodes away from fully diving into the void. Greetings and salutations, Jim. And <laughs> thanks for reminding me of that pleasant thought this Friday morning. No, but it has been a good week for the Astros um, in a lot of areas. You know, um, three, three, uh, three awards were announced, two big Astros wins and and one coming in a really tight race. So um, let's start with the rookie of the year, Jordan Alvarez. Um, are, you na- like, are you shocked that it was unanimous? Um, I'm not. And I think anybody who has listened to pre- uh, previous uh, iterations of this uh, podcast uh, will know that I think both of us are big uh, Jordan Alvarez fans and, and he – I mean, just did some incredible things during the regular season um, in really only 87 games. Uh, He had better seasons than more than half of baseball in 87 games, and in some cases entire teams, if you want to include the Royals as a team. (laughs) That's funny. Sorry, you caught me off guard with that. Um, Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I sort of thought the unanimous thing shocked me only a little bit because I thought maybe – him only being a DH might have gigged him, but I think you just can't you can't look at the way that guy played, both by numbers and watching any of those at bats in person, and and not see a player that I think is going to be a factor in the American League for years to come. Yeah, and I think if this was two thousand nine or nineteen ninety nine, that being a solely solely being a DH would have hurt him more. Um, but baseball in twenty nineteen uh, and going forward, the DH is considered more of a legitimate position. And as 
various things change over the next few years, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody uh, that the DH becomes universal rule in both the American and National League. Um, you know, back to Jordan, uh, it, it just incredible numbers, um, 27 home runs, 78 RBIs, uh, only struck out 94 times, which uh, for a rookie coming up and hitting in the middle of a fairly loaded lineup, um, it just as slash 313, 412, and 655, uh, over 1,000 OPS, uh, by far the best hitter, uh, maybe not the best player, but certainly the best hitter um, in the Astros lineup over those last 87 games. And definitely the only player I've ever seen that got walked without even bringing his bat to the plate. Uh, that happened twice in the minor leagues <laughs> in the like, same game. I'm just like, they're just like, whatever, dude, sit down. Yeah. Well, um, I think that was, I think that was, um, even though the World Series is still a little bit of a painful memory, I think that was my favorite memory of um, Strasburg in his first start um, in the World Series. Just when I think he went up two balls on Alvarez in a kind of a tight situation before that game got out of hand and just looked at him and said, go on. Yeah, he looked really pissed off. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, the World and Series. Ended up giving him the intentional walk. Um, I mean, just an outstanding season. And, um, you know, continues a little mini legacy over the last 30 years of uh, Bagwell and Correa and Alvarez winning Rookie of the Year. And, you know, hopefully he has a career that is a lot more Bagwell and Correa than, you know, Kevin Moss. And hopefully a lot more Bagwell than even Correa at this point. Well, you know, I, I look at this and I don't want to derail, but Correa, yes, he's been hurt. Yes, there's been some fluky injuries. The first four years of Jeff Bagwell's career with the Astros, he missed significant time because he couldn't back off the plate. Um, all of us remember that giant hand pad that they finally came oh, that's up with right. before yeah. the 1995 season because he kept diving into pitches with his batting stance and he was hurt. And there was a lot of conversation up until that 94 season, which he also ended prematurely because of a broken hand, about can this guy stay healthy? Can he learn to avoid getting hit by pitches? Um, I think a back injury is a little bit different for Correa, but um, you know, there's still time. He is 25. Uh, there's cottage industries of stupidity, stupid things that happen uh, up to 25 years old for very successful people. I, I'm only moderately successful, and I also had a lot of stupid things that happened to me before I was 25. Um, exactly. So the, the you know the the big the big thing, and I I felt really bad for Charlie Morton uh, when Major League Net, when the when MLB Network was presenting the Cy Young because it's like they almost mentioned him as an acknowledged afterthought in the Garrett Cole Justin Verlander Cy Young thing. Um, I felt bad for him. For obviously, Charlie's going to have a special place in the hearts and minds of Houston forever. So there was definitely a part of me that felt for him. But it really was a two-player race. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think it's—I think the only reason he was mentioned at all is because in the last few years, Major League Baseball has taken the votes and given you a preview of the top three. So you know a few weeks before the vote, or the winners announced who the top three is. And so it would look really bad that, hey, we forced you to have a top three conversation, um, but now we're not going to talk about that third guy. Uh, so, yeah, it, I'm sure Morton is crying into his pillow every night about it. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. Yeah, I'm sure he is. But, you know, 
he faded off a little bit at the end of the year. I think at one point he had a legitimate conversation, a legitimate role in the conversation. Um, but then Verlander was tremendous all year, and um, Cole from the middle of May on was probably the best pitcher in baseball. And ultimately, I think that you know six weeks between the beginning of the season and the middle of May it makes the difference for Verlander. Yeah, I think it comes down to that. I think that that Verlander's consistency the entire way through, which I think is going to dovetail into another conversation we have. Um, but Verlander's consistency oh. from the beginning to the end, as well as um, not he, he had no stinker at, stinker games at all for Verlander, and then off, also having the um, those career milestones that he hit the three thousand strikeouts, the third no hitter, um, three hundred strikeouts for the first thing. I think is that's how close I think that it was. Those moments overcame it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, there's still some things that the baseball writers who do the voting on these awards value, um, even though they've become less in vogue uh, during the um, era, era of high analytics and sabermetrics. Uh, Verlander still led the league uh, in wins with 21 wins. Uh, he led the league in innings pitched with 223. Uh, he was second to Cole in strikeouts by, I think, 13 strikeouts. Um and ERA by percentage points. Um, so, and he also had a couple of milestones. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think getting that 300th strikeout um, for the first time in his career, and Verlander's been a strikeout pitcher for his entire career, hitting the 3,000th career strikeout uh, in the same game, and um, throwing his uh, uh, second no hitter, or excuse me, third no hitter um, against Toronto in September. Um, those things are emotional. They're not black and white type stats, but they are the kind of thing that keep baseball fun for me, but also keep the writers interested and have them paying attention. Um, so I, you know, it's, I feel for Garrett Cole a little bit, the former Astro, uh, (laughs) an advocate of himself. An advocate of himself, an employee for for no one, a man without a country. Um, but he, he had an incredible season. There's nothing to hang his hat about, and I doubt he's terribly disappointed because um, it's really hard to be upset about losing to Justin Verlander. It's not a situation like 2018 where Justin Verlander could have legitimately been upset about losing to Blake Snell, even though he had a statistically and emotionally better season than Snell. This, we should be talking about Verlander's third Cy Young. Yeah, we really should. And how much of it do you think Major League Baseball was afraid of Kate Upton's Twitter? Well, I mean, that's absolutely something that I think all Major League Baseball executives consider when they, you know, before they tweet, before anything. Um, you don't want to get on Mrs. Mrs. Verlander's bad side. Yeah, for or those for, for the, I, I bet there's a hyphen in there. There has to be a hyphen in there. Uh, for those of the uninformed, um, Upton had a very hilarious uh, tweet when he lost, not this past time, but the time before he came in second. And she said, excuse me, Major League Baseball, I think I'm the only one allowed to fuck Justin Verlander. And that marks the first time we've dropped the F-bomb on the show. Hey, we're normally family friendly, um, and even a PG thirteen is allowed. Uh, want a want a movie, right? Want a movie? Yes, we are. That's exactly right. Um, so let's talk then a little bit about Alex Bregman drop not not winning the MVP, and I don't want to say losing the MVP 
Um, and you haven't you have a take that's a little non Astros homery of why you think he lost. Um, I don't think his first half of the season was as good as uh, Mike Trout's first half of the season, and I think it's an you know certainly Bregman had an incredible second half, and he didn't by any means have a bad first half. It's just Trout's was so good that Bregman was playing catch up for the majority of the second half of the season and really didn't start getting MVP consideration until August and September. Um, and it, he made it a tight race. I think the final vote was 17 to 13 uh, for first place votes. Uh, and Bregman did not have a bad year by any means. I think Bregman is the kind of player who's going to be on MVP watch every year. And I'm really glad he's on the Astros because he's, you know, kind of cocky and I can absolutely understand why players from, or, you know, fans of other teams at least would hate his guts eventually. Um, especially when he carries the bat down to the, you know, first base coach and can't even hand it off to him. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I can't even do like that. that. Right. But I think overall it's really hard to argue with Mike Trout. I get the, I get the, the argument. I get the conversation of Trout's second half didn't matter because the angels were out of the race by the all-star break. Um, but because of the nebulous nature of the MVP, anybody's criteria is right. Um, and so the voters, you know, went with who they, they thought was right. Um, certainly wouldn't have been disappointed to see Bregman win, but I really can't see anybody being terribly upset that Trout, you know, came, ended up with the award that he had pretty much been anointed in June. Um, I will say that I would look for Alex Bregman to be on a tear next year because he's the kind of guy that's going to let something like this motivate him throughout the off season and throughout um, the majority of next year, um, whether or not you or I think it's a snub, um, he'll take it that way personally, just as a little bit of uh, tackling fuel, so to speak. Nice water boy reference. It's, you know, it's a lovely fall day in Houston, Texas, looking forward to some college football this weekend. And I can always watch the water boy. Um, I, I could watch that literally every day. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I'm not looking forward to college football because right now everything's a, everything's an adventure for my alumni and or my, my, my uh, alumnus. And I, I remember, uh, if you remember, I actually predicted the Longhorns will only lose two games this year, one of which would be this game this weekend in Ames, Iowa. So we're, I don't know, man, I'm not feeling great. Um, what, so, you know, the Astros have, Two of the major awards. I do want to mention the fact that AJ did not even make the finalist for uh, manager of the year. Any any thoughts on that? Any thoughts why when I, I don't have a good explanation? And who eventually won it for the AO? Uh, the manager of the Twins. Right. So I think there's a couple of things here. Um, if you look at the finalists, I'm pretty sure that Aaron Boone um, got some serious consideration. And as we've talked about before, uh, the managers of the Red Sox and the Yankees, um, Aaron Boone, of course, being the manager of the Yankees right now, uh, will always get that level of consideration um, if they have good seasons, just by the virtue of where they play. And God bless them if that's how it works out for them. Um, I think that Major League Baseball got it right. And I think it's I think the manager of the year award is more about preseason expectations versus actual results than any of the other awards 
the Astros were expected to win their division. The Astros were the favorite to win the World Series uh, as early as the winter meetings last year. Um, as a matter of fact, they're the favorite to win the World Series again, depending on which sites you look at for next year. Um, so A.J. Hitch didn't beat expectations of anybody other than, hey, we won 107 games, so that was four, four games better than we've ever done. Um, the Twins were not expected to do anything but maybe contend for a wild card this year. And I think um, if it wasn't wire to wire, it was pretty close that they led that division, the American League Central, all the way through. Um, and they did it with a roster of a lot of spare parts. Um, you had guys uh, from all over who you know, weren't big-name free agents, uh, who weren't big acquisitions, and a few that were um, pulled off the, the scrap heap through roster acquisitions. And he made them a, a team, and obviously benefiting from playing the Tigers and the Royals uh, and the White Sox for um, a third of their games, or more than that, actually. Um, but, they, I mean, he did a masterful job. I think baseball got that right. Now, as far as Hinch, I think, again, the Astros um, – are expected to win, they win, what job did he do? I think he probably suffers a little bit from the Pat Riley syndrome of why would we give Pat Riley coach of the year when he's coaching Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy? Uh, of course he's going to win. What did he even have to do? Um, or Guy Lewis, if you want to take it back to 80s U of H basketball. Um, so, and I, I think he suffers from that a little bit. Uh, he's also a guy who at this point is averaging 97, a win, 97 wins a year as the manager of the Astros. Um, and all of us remember the team that he inherited um, and has grown since then. I don't think the Astros are where they are without him. I think he is criminally underrated, um, and it'll be a sad day when he decides uh, not to be here anymore. Not that I think that's coming anytime soon. Wow, this took a depressing turn. So, um, uh, one of the things well, I, I don't think he's leaving by any means, but he is hands down, no contest, best manager the Astros have ever had. Uh, he is the perfect blend of a guy who gets the analytical approach, but still has the cojones to manage by feel when it's when it's the right thing to do. Um, I think you, that finding that uh, and finding a front office that will support that approach and vice versa. Um, it's why we're having the kind of magical run we're having in Houston. And for all of the, all of you who are already saying, well, they didn't win the world series. So it have to be a magical run. We've won a hundred games plus for the last three years. Um, he's a huge reason why uh, we have injuries to talk about. We have underperformance to talk about. We have, uh, managing potential um, headaches with superstars and guys who could become prima donnas if they weren't led correctly. Uh, and we're still progressing. We're still better. And again, we're still the favorites to win the world series next year. Um, that's a, that, in my mind, that's AJ Hinch. I know you're exactly right. One of the other things that I think is going to make us uh, a favorite to win the world series again. And I wanted to talk a little bit about his season and what could have been, you know, George Springer kind of quietly was in the top 10 for the MVP, MVP voting. And I think if we go back to April and May before he had the first hamstring injury, he was absolutely on an MVP pace. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think that 
unlike so, the reputation that some other players uh, on the Astros have gotten, Springer has been injured parts of the last three seasons, but they're always this kind of, I'm going to try to do this Superman thing and I end up hurting myself. Um, I, I you know like him to be seen a little bit smarter than that, but prior to the, I think they were like, bam, bam, uh, he got one hamstring injury, came back nine days later, and then uh, tweaked it again, trying to make a catch uh, in foul territory and ran up against a wall. Um, From center field, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That was all hustle. But prior to that point, I mean, if you look at what he was doing up until May, I think the injury was in June. uh, He was slashing 368, 432, and 779 with eight home runs in 68 at-bats. You know, throw in uh, two doubles and a triple there, too. It's um, that's a 112 uh, OPS for those of you that are concerned. That is incredible. Now you know small sample size. Garrett Stubbs was also at 1.25 during that period. You know whatever. Um, (laughs) But he was the glue that was holding the team together with um, Altuve's slow start, uh, and admittedly he had a slow start. His leg wasn't healthy. Bregman scuffled a little bit in the first couple of months of the season. I think he's that guy who starts slow. Um, but Springer was kind of, and he's the emotional leader of the team. And when you have the emotional leader, the leader um, produce at that level, it's a pretty cool thing to watch. Um, and he was right there. And I think the fact that he finished top 10 and by no means had pedestrian numbers or anything this year, he had a great season um, was recognition of, his hot start and the fact that there were a number of times where he was the Astros offense for stretches. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up then for this award thing with one final question, you know, the, the the disappointing of the world series is not going to go away anytime soon. How much does winning two of the four big awards and also having a couple of silver sluggers coming in second, in the MVP, how much do you think that that's going to go towards reminding everybody that it was still a great season, even if you don't win the ultimate last game of the year? Well, so this is the perspective of a 48-year-old Astros fan. Um, no, we did not win the World Series. We did win the American League pennant for the second time in three years. And I'm still old enough to remember when winning the pennant was kind of the goal in the World Series. It was kind of – it was that'd be nice. Um, the Astros never experienced that when I was a kid. So this is all, you know, relatively new territory. You, you beat the Yankees out, you beat the twins out, you beat the Rays out, you beat, um, the A's out. It it was a fantastic season. They won 107 games. They won a pennant. They won their division handily. Um, it's just, there's no way somebody can be disappointed in the final outcome of the season unless they happen to have placed, I don't know, $13 million worth of bets on um, the Astros winning so they <laughs> could offset some um, mattress losses. It, it, it's just it, it's unfathomable to the 16-year-old me, uh, who I talk to a few times a week, that anybody would consider that the season the Astros just had a disappointment or 
somehow less than. No, they didn't win the World Series, but they did everything but. And if you had asked any fan, would you take a Game 7 at home in the World Series, consider that a successful season in spring training? Nobody would have said, no, I want to see what that game, how that game turned out. So it's, you know, a little bit of revisionist history to now be disappointed with as excited as the city was, with the, uh, as into it as the city was really all season long, but especially in September and October. Um, it is a fantastic season for Houston, and I guarantee you there are 29 other baseball cities that would love to be in our position right now. All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it, Andy. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Go Strohs. And as we wrap up the Go Go Astros segment on this episode of Let's Get Two, we are joined by one of the most iconic members of the Houston Astros, Bobby Dynamite himself, the driver of the amazing train that sits over the outfield. Bobby, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, James. Just sitting here in a little bit of a rainstorm here in Houston at the moment. Yeah, we were, it's hitting us too, and the temperature's dropping. And of course, I forgot both an umbrella and a sweatshirt because that's how I roll. Um, that's how it works, always. So, <laughs> yeah, one of the things I wanted. So, are you able to now? Are you starting to get to relax a little bit? You know, you've 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 had a busy season. Yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you know you're just going and going and going, and then all of a sudden, and, and honestly, this would have happened had we won too, uh, one game seven all of a sudden it's gone, you know? And so uh, it's kind of, uh, you kind of hit a wall and, you know, just kind of pick yourself up and like kind of get on with the rest of my, my real everyday life. So, (laughs) right. But (laughs) we started calling that on the show, the void, we are in the void now. And now the best part is to figure out a way to get through the void so we can get to March. Um, How do you do it? Like you, I mean, I definitely want to talk about the season, but you, you are such a big Mm -hmm. part of this. Like, do you just find yourself trying to drive something else? I don't know. What do you do? <laughs> well, uh, I, I do have a full-time job. Uh, I'm a, uh, an editor, or I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, a trade and association magazine uh, for an international organization that's based here in Houston. So I, I do have that to keep me occupied. But really, you know, uh, other than that, it's just kind of a, just like y'all uh, watching watching the hot stove and seeing what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, I teach film, and so between classes, I can only refresh Twitter and ESPN so many times. Look, <laughs> uh, you know, taking the result of Game Seven out of it, um, and for me in a personal, I think this might have been my favorite baseball season period. Partly because doing the show, having a grandson, I went to three Astros road games, which I'd never done before outside of the Rangers. Um, you know, what were some of the highlights for you this season? Uh, so many things happened that I think I really believe we will, as we get closer or farther away from uh, the result and how disappointed everybody was, including the players, mm-hmm. I really think we're going to look back on this and be like, what a what a thing we got to watch for, you know, eight, nine months. Yeah, you know, uh, I think, I mean, there was a lot of great moments, obviously, uh, the Verlander no-hitter. Uh, the the combined no hitter, uh, uh, just, just just so many of those one th- th- those one game or one moment type you know all the walk offs obviously uh, during the regular season and and in the playoffs but 
you know, I think the season in a lot of ways too, is just going to be measured by the, not just moments, but how uh, things uh, kind of transpired over time. Uh, watching the way uh, Jordan Alvarez came into his own, watching the full season dominant of uh, Justin Verlander and, and Garrett Cole, watching uh, the world uh, become witnesses to the, to the greatness that's Alex Bregman, things like that, I think is what, uh, you know, the season is definitely going to be remembered for. And when you put all of those, those time intensive, uh, moments together, you know, 107 wins, 117 wins total. That's, that's, that's quite a season. So uh, the, one of the things I got that, that I, when I told my business partner that I was having you on, which ball was most immediately gone when you were sitting up there, Altuve's walk-off or Correa's? Uh, I, oh, man. That's that's a tough one because the Altuve, man, but you know what? Both of those baseballs were gone the moment they left the pitcher's hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, answer, uh, I'll answer that with yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, when you were on with us at the beginning of the season, you had said that you never felt the train shake as much after game five of 17 as you did. I think you said Kent's walk off in 04. Um, right. How, for Alt- I got to imagine both of those home runs had to have had that place rocking. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And, and they both kind of gave me that sensation. Uh, you know, where you, you could feel the, the train and the ballpark shaking uh, in the aftermath. Uh, those are, you know, two of the biggest home runs in team history. And, and you know, the, the Altuve one, that one's going to live forever because of, you know, just the magnitude of winning, uh, of a walk-off home run to, you know, win a pennant. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's going to stand the test of time, you know, just like uh, Mazeroski. Or not, or not Mazeroski, uh, 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 Bobby Thompson, you know, with yeah. you know, the Giants won the pennant, the Giants won the pennant. Honestly, I think 50 years from now, you know, Robert Ford, uh, it's, you know, uh, see you later, see you later, see you later. You know, that's, that's going to be right up there. And I love that they've done this with both the Correa Homer and his, where they released the video of Robert making the call because, <laughs> you know, I, and I, it's one of the things I've been trying to educate people, you know, because we've had lots of play by play folks, uh, Melanie Newman from the uh, single a Red Sox in Salem. I, and mm-hmm. I don't think that people are fully aware how much Robert and Steve are ingrained in that team. And so it was mm-hmm. as much about almost as much about them as it was about the, you know, they felt it as much as anybody else. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Robert took some, you know, criticism on, on Twitter for that call. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I am so thankful. Now, okay, let me preface this with, I think I have maybe had in the, what, six, seven years that Robert's been with the Astros, I think I've maybe had one conversation with him, and it was in passing, and I think we said hi, and I, that was about <laughs> it. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to preface this with uh, I'm not, uh, you know, buddies, best buddies or anything with, with Robert, I, you know, but I'm very thankful that we have him. Because and and Steve, because of what they bring, that emotion, and you know, I they feel like when when I listen to them, you know, they they it feels like they've got skin in the game. It's like they're a fan right there with me, 
but they're the one that's painting the picture. And if something exciting happens, I'm very thankful that, you know, that they put that excitement and emotion into it. And, and I feel it too. You know, I, you know, I think we talked about this earlier in the season. To me, I've always connected with the Astros through radio. And I, I agree with you. I feel the way I feel about Robert and Steve, the way I felt about Milo, where it felt like that's my team and I'm with them with them because of that voice. And, and nothing to get to disparage the voices that kind of came bef- between them or, or the personalities that were there. But I, mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I feel like I feel connected because of their connection. Right. You know, it's, it's just, um, one of those things that, uh, the, 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 for the passion of baseball just grabs you and, you know, over, over the history of the game, it's always been the radio guys, you know, who have uh, painted the pictures, you know, the soundtrack of the summer, so to speak, you know, you know, coming through, through the radio speakers and, you know, baseball just kind of has that, that love affair or we as baseball fans have that love affair with radio and our radio broadcasters and the pictures that they paint for us. So I can't think of two better guys to have in the booth right now than Robert and Steve. No, I can't either. Um, so I want to ask you a question going f- about, about next year, because before I, I kind of get to the real way you want up to me and you're not even aware of it. Um, <laughs> so Nike's taken over the uniforms. Any, any, any rumor are we getting uh, new uniforms? Uh, nothing that I know of. That's a little bit above my pay grade. Above so. pay grade? Yeah. I, I don't know if you walked by and saw uh, some artist renderings or something. No, they, uh, I actually, to be honest with you, I have not been to the ballpark since, uh, uh I left after game seven. Okay. So, so how you went up to me and now let, let me just tell you something, Bobby, I, I reached a moment of, um, of level relative fame with 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 the high school where I teach at. So basically my standard uniform is my ID badge and name tag on my Astros lanyard. And anytime we're playing in the playoffs or a day game in the regular season, my Astros polo. And I roll up and one of my seniors is dressed like me for Halloween. And I think to myself, how cool is that? And then I go to your Twitter page and there's like, how, how many people dressed as Bobby Dynamite for Halloween this year? It seems like all of Houston. Oh man, <laughs> not, not quite. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to dress up as sexy Bobby dynamite for Houston, but like uh, a bunch of uh, other fans beat me to it. So, <laughs> yeah. I saw a kid on a toy uh, train. It was crazy. You know that uh, if you would have told me at any point in my life, you know, before, uh, I jumped on the train that people, you know, I would inspire a Halloween costume in a good way. I would have, yeah, I would have, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I mean, it's, it's one of the most humbling uh, things to look at my Twitter and I'm actually like kind of scrolling through it right now. And, you know, just seeing people share with me uh, how they dressed up as me and, or their, their children and, and things like that. And that's, uh, I think, you know, or yeah, this season, we even had a, a dog costume contest and the winning entry was a dog that, that uh, uh, they addressed as uh, me and and the uh, the the train. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wow. think I saw that one. Yeah, I saw that one. Uh, they they put that on on the network too. Um, but I guess you know. But that I think that speaks to you. What I love about baseball and what I love about you and what you represent. And I love that baseball is local. And I and I saw there was some Twitter flack. I guess between some of the drum folks from Oakland were kind of hating on the train. And 
you know, it's like whatever. It's their thing. But like I, I, I want to extend a, basically a thank you from the city of Houston, all the Astros fans, for everything that you do because you really are um, so much a part of that ball game experience. And you're going <laughs> to outlive or outlast – you're going to outlast play. Like you're that tradition. So I really, you know, thank you so much from, from all of us. Man, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll tell you the same thing I always say. It sounds like I'm thinking of the Oakland fans. Sounds like I'm beating a drum here, but I'm just a fan that got lucky. I'm the luckiest Astros fan that ever lived. And uh, it's, it's uh, humbling to hear that. And uh, I can tell you that, you know, my excitement every day I jump on the train is you know, the same as my excitement as my very first time I jumped on the train. And uh, I think that's kind of uh, what keeps me going is that, you know, I love it. And uh, I appreciate the opportunities that the Astros have given me. Uh, these are things that I could never ask for. And, you know, getting to meet the people that I've got to meet, getting to work with the people that I get to work with and getting to uh, see uh, with my own eyes, you know, some of the greatest moments in Astros history, uh, especially every single one of them that's happened in Minute Maid Park over the last 20 seasons. Um, it's, uh, I don't know what I did to deserve it, but I'm not going to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we don't want you to. Uh, he is Bobby Vasquez, also known as Bobby Dynamite. Uh, you know what? I feel good about next year, your 20th season. It's going to be 2020. Let's roll. Man, I uh, can't wait. Uh, you know, just you don't want to, you know, leave the season uh, the way we did. You know, you always want to be the last one standing. But, you know, the best part about baseball is that there's always tomorrow. And when there's no more tomorrows, there's always next year. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. and We'll have you back on next season. Thanks, Bobby. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Y'all have a great off season. On deck, the Let's Get To interview of the week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And now let's get to you. We're excited to be joined by Tyler Stamm. He is the general manager of the Sugarland Skeeters, uh, one of the first guests we've ever had on the show. And then they were our independent team of the year. Uh, Tyler, how you doing? Congrats on another great season. Hey, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, it was a good year. We fought hard all the way. We had a lot of ups and downs on the baseball side of things. Uh, we made it to the championship series, unfortunately lost in game five, but another good year. We were on the, on the door of a back-to-back championship, didn't quite get it. And we're, we're looking forward to 2020. Everything is going well on the, the fan perspective side. I think we talked a lot uh, when we first talked way back in March or April about coming back to our roots and doing a lot of minor league baseball type stuff. And I'm sure you probably will have questions about that, but we, we had a lot more fun this year, I think at the ballpark, which I think is exactly what minor league baseball is all about. So it was, it was a very successful year overall. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the on the field stuff, but, and then I want to talk about all the fun I had. Cause I made it out to three or four games. I only told y'all about two of them, but I was out to, I think four, but, um, oh, you had a little covert operation, a little covert operation, you know, but, uh, mostly I was in the neighborhood and wanted to go see a baseball game, but, um, yeah, you know, it, you know, I watched the, the championship game and it, it felt eerily similar to the other Houston area team, coming a few outs away, but you can't, I don't think with baseball, you can't really sum it up into, did you win the last game of the year? I think you have to look at it from an overview of, of, of what your whole season was like. 
I agree with that. I mean, we, I would look at this year um, from a baseball perspective as successful based on the, the journey. And that's what I think a lot of people start to miss. I, I feel like, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or what, but I feel like when I was a kid, I would really appreciate the journey of a season. And then the playoffs were just extra. Now, everybody, you hear people talking about in week one of the NFL season, who's going to the Super Bowl? Right. No one. It doesn't feel like a lot of people appreciate the journey. And with the Skeeters journey, we, we struggled a lot this year. And then we really came together. We had 16 guys signed away to affiliated ball or to um, international ball. So we had a lot of bodies in and out of here and we coalesced at the right time and had a nice little championship run and unfortunately we didn't win but that's what I've, I've come to appreciate now as being a part of this is is the journey is is exciting and it's cool to see a team really fight and claw and scratch all year long to get where they they wanted to go didn't quite finish it but uh, yeah it was a very successful year based on the journey and i think nothing really showed how important indie ball is more than having that dude for the twins, you know, pitching in the, in the ALDS who had started out in, I think in the Atlantic league this past year, the one, unfortunately the Yankees fans were mocking cause he drove an Uber, but you can't, you can't really, uh, you can't really paint a better picture than that. Th- Absolutely. It's a, it's a second chance league. And I think that's probably the coolest part is getting to see these guys that, for whatever reason are off the major league baseball or off the minor league baseball radar and they get to come here, showcase their talents. And for us to have 16 guys signed away, that was our, our record in our eight seasons. We're getting guys back to where they want to play. And it's not to say people don't want to play here because they do, they reach out to us and want to come back. Uh, but they know that this is a good opportunity to, to get back to the big leagues. One of the things I wanted to, uh, to tell you a story, um, we came out and we took my brother and my brother's um, girlfriend's son. And he was like three years old and had a blast at the Skeeters game, got to meet Swatson, the whole thing. Well, apparently a week later they went to the Astros and um, didn't get to meet orbit kind of threw a fit. Didn't really enjoy the atmosphere. So fast forward to the playoff run and he's sending me a video of the kid that's supposed to be yelling, go Stros, but he's yelling, go Swatson. And he wouldn't say Astros at all. He was all about those skeeters. So I thought, again, like the whole point of minor league baseball is introducing fans to the game. Right. Exactly. And that's what we are trying to do a lot more of. I've talked about that a little bit already, but we want people to come to the game and yeah, obviously we want people to, who are baseball fans to come appreciate the high level of baseball that we have to offer. But we know that most people are coming to this ballpark for a break for fun. And if nine out of 10 people that leave the ballpark, if I ask them what the score was and they don't know, but they say they had a good time, then we're doing a great job. And that's how I view it. So you talked about, you know, wanting to turn to, to kind of dive into more of that minor league baseball uh, atmosphere in the, in the 2019 season, what were some of the biggest hits do you think from, uh, from the fan perspective? I know I had a blast at star Wars night. First time I ever wore a, won a Jersey on the auction. Uh, nice. I, I was super stoked. So what were some of the big moments for you guys? The absolute biggest hit that we had was introducing Kovu, the bat dog. Oh yeah. And I think you were there for a game with Kovu. I was. Um, and I know it, it's not a, a creative thing. It, you know, multiple teams have, 
of that dog. But for us to integrate something that I wouldn't say is a minor league baseball staple, but it is a cool thing that other teams do for us to bring that here. It was a huge hit. Fans loved it. They got the pet Kovu and um, they were asking us about, can we get a Kovu bobblehead or a bobble tail? Um, you know, people were hyped about that. We actually did a, a broadcast um, that was done completely by drones. We were the first professional team that had a, a drone broadcast it unfortunately rained quite a bit that day. Oh, no. It scattered showers all over the place, but we broadcasted the entire game with exclusively drones. If you go back on YouTube and watch that footage, um, you'll actually see probably about 30 minutes of me out there drying off the infield. <laughs> so <laughs> it's our last game of the season, but but that's just kind of the cool, innovative stuff. We You were there for Star Wars. We're, we're starting to do the fun jerseys. Um, in the past, all of our jerseys have been like, let's make the Skeeters jersey red, and that'll be our cool jersey auction. You won the, I, I don't remember what the character was, to be honest, but it was a Star Wars, really looked like Star Wars jersey. Yeah, it um, was the, uh, head jersey now. it was, yeah, the, it was, so the, it was just, the X-Wing fighter pilot uniform jersey. Okay, there you go. <laughs> that. Uh, so we did that. And just to bring in pop culture stuff and things that people enjoy outside of baseball and kind of marrying the two is is really what we're trying to get better at. So we did a good job. It was a good first step, but we're going to try and go all in next year. And so what about 2020? Like, when did you start having to think about it as the GM of the Skeeters? Like, do you wait for the last out, take a couple, a couple days off and dive into it? Or... Does it happen kind of even before the 19 seasons over? Yeah, probably, probably in late July, early August is when we start talking 2020. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it just from the business perspective, talking about sponsorships. Do we, do we want to add anything? Is there something that we're doing that we want to get rid of? Uh, we start talking about promotions that we really like from this year that we want to keep going. Um, things that we're seeing that other teams are doing as they wrap up their season that we want to bring in for next year. So there's a good solid, you know, nine months of planning that go into a season prior to the first pitch opening day. I mean, we started talking about it around the all-star break. So um, any, anything you want to, sh- I know I wouldn't want to have you on before the 2020 season, but anything that you want to kind of le- let leak at this point? Well, I know that kind of going, like I said, going back to our roots, we haven't done any appearances in a long time of, you know, people that travel like the superstars or uh, there's a guy that goes around quite a bit right now. He's called the amazing Tyler and he balances stuff on his face. That's just his thing. (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking about doing more of that uh, kind of stuff. We don't have anything really set. We're going to do our staples where we have the spasmatics back again. That's a very popular event for us. Um, but we're working on an appearance for like the office night, uh, you know, trying to see if we can get Kate Flannery out here or uh, Leslie David Baker, somebody of that effect. Um, so we, we just want to have more going on than just the baseball game. For, for years now, we have had the baseball game going on and that is it. And maybe some like goofy video board graphics if it's Princess Night something like that, but we want it to be an all in. If it's princess night, we've got princesses out here and we've got, um, you know, a a meet and greet set up for, for girls that can come meet their heroes and, you know, stuff like that. Just, just really going all in. Well, one of the things that has kind of a really, one of the best kept secrets about, um, that area of the state is what you guys do for Christmas at Constellation field. And I know that we're going to be checking it out. My wife and I, for as much as we obsess about baseball, I've made a Christmas movie. Like I am into Christmas. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you guys, what, what, what we can expect out there. 
So to give you a little backstory, so our season ended October 6th. And when I was driving into work on October 7th, there were already lights dangling from the suite <laughs> level. There were bows around the ballpark. I was like, man, we, we didn't waste any time there. But we've got, uh, we basically turned the ballpark into a enormous Christmas tree. We've got a big 50-foot Christmas tree that's actually out in center field right now. And it's got a ton of lights on it. We've got about 3 million lights in all that is all over the stadium. Um, it's a walking tour. So you go all the way around the ballpark. You get to go down on the field. Uh, we've got a big carnival in the back with a Ferris wheel, roller coaster type rides, um, the, the big rotating swing. I don't even know what you call that. But, I mean, it's a full-fledged carnival. Santa's here. We've got light maze. Uh, we do an open flame s'more station. I mean, it's it's basically Christmas exploded on the ballpark. It is kind of what what we're doing. Well, we are definitely looking forward to it. Um, how many like uh, will you be out on site for it? Like, will, will I be able to pop in and say hi? Absolutely. Yeah, I am. It's so it's a Skeeters run event. In the past, we we partnered with companies and we actually took it on all all by ourselves last year. Um, it was very successful. It's continued to be successful for us. We, you know, I tell people a lot that our ballpark is not a baseball venue anymore. That's how it was started. And that's how the vision was, I guess, originally, but it is an event venue now. And we do more events throughout the year that have nothing to do with baseball than we do baseball games. We have about 220, 230 events a year and 70 of those are baseball games. So that kind of gives you some perspective. Um, we're always doing something. We've had rugby out here. We have corporate meetings and picnics almost every day. It feels like we have church service here every Sunday. So our ballpark is always up in action. Well, I, as we announced a couple of weeks ago, you guys were our team of the year and our for, for independent ball. And I just wanted to thank you guys because I feel like people are more and more turning to minor league baseball because the world is just getting – well, honestly, crappier and crappier. So thanks so much for everything that you guys do. Well, thank you for the the honor um, to get that that first one. Because um, I know this is your first year at the podcast. And it's, it's it's an honor for you to, to choose us. And it was very nice to meet you the few times you're out here. I, I wish I had <laughs> known you were here those other few covert times because you're, you're a good guy to talk to. And um, you got a lot of cool stories. And I, I appreciate your passion for the game. Uh, you know, people like you will keep this game going. So it's good to have have people like you out there. Well, thanks, Tyler. Um, he is Tyler Stamby. He's a general manager of the Sugarland Skeeters. They are kicking off in 2020. You need to get down to that stadium. It's the best ballpark in independent leagues. Tyler, thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. Thank you. April 30th, opening day. We're 160 day, 68 days out right now. 168. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. And so that wraps us up for this episode of Let's Get To, and we have two episodes left. Next week, we're going to be doing a fan appreciation episode, and so we'll put it out on Twitter and we'll put it out on Facebook. But if any of you'd like to come on and talk a little bit about some of your highlights as a baseball fan, be it 2019, be it in your life. Um, I know we've got a couple of guests lined up that I have some really awesome stories to tell. So we kind of want to make it an episode where it's just people who like to talk about baseball getting a chance to talk about baseball. So pretty excited about that. And then the week after, 
Um, we're going to have our hot stove episode where we're going to talk about possible free agency for uh, a lot of the major league teams, you know, the Astros, of course, the Yankees, we're going to have some folks on. So we're excited about that. But we're also just excited because Let's Get Two is going to be out at the winter meetings. We're going to be looking at some of the aspects of the winter meetings that maybe not a lot of people know about. We're going to be talking to some folks who are going to go through the job fair process, and we're going to be covering the trade show. So we're very excited. Uh, we want to thank Jeff Lance from MILB for hooking that up for us. And we're going to be joined by some of the people that you're used to hearing on the show, like Matt Berry from the Rockhounds. So um, we've got a couple of episodes left. They're going to be chock full, and then we're going to fully embrace the void that is a life without baseball. Uh, but I think we can get through it together if we just put our noses to the grindstone and and remember that even though it's cold outside and it's wet and it's gray, I feel like I just did an impression of Bill Murray from Groundhog Day. I'm teaching that movie in my screenwriting class right now. It's going to be cold. It's going to be wet. And it's going to be gray. But it's not going to last all of your life. Because in spring, games are going to start in March. We're going to start getting games that matter again. And then it'll be time to let's get to.